we're, there's no surprise of where we're going to be looking at today. We'll be in the book of Romans. It's been a while since we've been there. Today we're going to look at um, chapter 3. Today we're looking at this change in the book. We've been looking at chapters 1 through 3, chapter 320. And it's been a very difficult, dark message that we've been reading It says, just so that we'd be mindful of it, I've thought about actually half joking is to actually, it's been such a while to go back and to go over where we've been because there are two words that we're going to look at today, as you can see in your bulletin, but now. And unless we feel the heaviness, the darkness, the dirtiness, the weight of what chapters 1 through chapter 320 has said to us, but now may not have the impact as it should. But I hope it will. But remember, verses, starting with verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed, verse 18 of chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For, who can, for what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks, but they, but they became futile, meaningless in their thinking, vain in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them up to, desirable, to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for that are contrary to nature, out of the natural function of women. And men likewise gave up the natural function of what with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit, since they did not approve the, 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 and acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased, wholehearted, debased mind to what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil and, and covetousness, 
malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. This is really the the study and the doctrine of, of biblical anthropology. This is how God sees humanity in its, in its present state. And so as you can remember, that when Paul is writing to this church he's never been to, but knows a lot of people there, he is writing to them what the gospel is about. And he's longing to share this gift with them and receive their gift of fellowship and their gifts that they have for him in fellowship with one another, another through Christ. And there's a, an imbalance going on here. The Gentiles and the Jews are worshiping together. And no matter how much God says that he breaks down these walls, there is a problem going on here. The Jews are, are, are thinking that they're entitled. And the Gentiles feel that the Jews blew it, so now they've been given a shot. But as we remember this book, he goes to this understanding of humanity and the study of sin and says it's universal. No matter how hard you try to be a Jew, you're never going to be a good Jew. You can never be good enough of a Jew. And no matter what your philosophy of life is, and no matter what your morality is, and your ethics are as a person who is not a Jew, it's not going to be enough because you cannot live consistently with the standard that you have for yourself. No matter if you say this is right, one day you may wake up and do something contrary to it. And so as we've read in chapters 1 and chapter 2, he's saying that there's no way no one can follow. The desire of God's heart for Humanity. You cannot follow the law, your circumcision, your baptism, taking the Lord's Supper, your good works, your righteousness. How you and I feel about who we are and what we've done is not enough. It'll never make it as the word for sin means missing the mark. No matter how hard we try, we'll never make it. As I said before, some of the best swimmers in this room are going to outswim me if we're going to say right now we're going to end the Cape Cod and we're going to swim across the Atlantic to Europe. None of us are going to make it. No matter how far you get ahead of me, none of us are ever going to make it. It's an impossible thing to do. And that's what the, Paul is writing to this group and saying you have nothing to boast about. You have nothing to be haughty about. You have nothing to brag about. Because you're all, we're all locked together. We're all lumped in the same clay. We are totally and radically corrupt in our hearts. That's why he is putting this darkness, putting this reality 
putting this truth forth to the people of the Rome church, Roman church because he wants them to understand the gospel. And we're going to be looking at a chapter today, chapter 3, and a paragraph, the paragraph we're looking at is paragraph chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. And Luther says this about this paragraph. He says, this chief point in the very central place of the epistle in the whole Bible. It is the most important paragraph in the entire Bible, Luther says. So as you can see, today we're not even going to look at the entire paragraph because I can't get past two words. But now. Because those are delightful, powerful words. Let me read that together with you. Read that for you. But follow along with me in your, in your Bibles. And it's very important to have a Bible in front of you to look at because it's so important to see these words and to follow what the argument is going and where it's going. And so Paul writes this. Now let's go to verse 19 of chapter 3. Because again, it leads into what this but now is about. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human will be justified in his sight, since, the law, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. At this point, and I hope you've come to this point in your life, where any arguments, and I'm sure you have because I know you are believers, but there had to come a point in your life and some of you and some of the people listening in who may not be believers realize that the arguments end and stop. There's got to come a point where you stop talking and you just listen. And for people who you're ministering to and people who I have witnessed to and have tried to bring to Christ and tried to present Christ, keep on talking. They keep on talking and they have more and more questions not about honesty, about what you're talking about, but that they just don't believe what you're saying because they don't want to believe it. So they keep on talking. But I remember the day when my mouth was shut because I realized I had nothing to come back with. And I hope you've gotten there. I'm sure you have. There's no more arguments. You're not good enough. In the eyes of God, you're not good. In fact, we're evildoers, and we have a place in hell unless God changes that. And if our gospel that we tell people does not include that, then folks, we are telling them a lie. We are not telling them the truth. And that's where he comes up and he says, everybody's accountable to God. So you can see when you see these next two words, but now. He is just so happy to get to that point because now he can say there has been an unrighteousness revealed. As he says in chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. It's from God. 
It's how he gives us over to our sin. He gives the world over to its sin. He gives it over to your passions and desires. We give no thanks to God. We don't want to acknowledge God. There's no place for God. We can talk about so many subjects in the world, but when we start talking about faith, when we start talking about God, when we start talking about Bible, all of a sudden it's an unspeakable concept. It's something that people don't want to talk about. Only those that God is working in their life, those who God is changing through his spirit, keep on asking questions to know more, but to try to defend themselves. And they just can't believe that God is that kind of God. They haven't gotten the point that they have no place to speak whatsoever. So as we look at this important paragraph, he says, but now the righteousness of God, hallelujah, has been manifested, has been revealed, has been shown apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned, and everyone misses the mark. They all fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a substitute, as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word today and pray for your grace and mercy as we read and hear your words, not only in this gospel, but in the rest of your word. We ask that you would bless us with your presence by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we we'll know that you are in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're, very, we're familiar with the story of the fall of the temptation in the garden. Verse 7 is when the act has been taken place, when they've eaten, tasted of the fruit. Verse 7 says, then, their eyes of, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten of the true which I command, tree that I've commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman you, whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And then we go on and we see uh, in verse 20, the man called his wife, well, no, let's go back up to, uh, to verse 17. He says to the woman, and then he says to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the fruit of, of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and dust you shall return. And the man called his, wife, his, name, his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and, and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, a man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and, out of, and at the east of the garden of Eden he, was placed, he placed cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. This is what it all, how it all began, and this is how we got to chapter 1 of Romans. Can you hear and smell and taste the, as this describes, as, as uh, Moses, as he writes this, describes for us this alienation, this separation, this brokenness, this contrast of walking in the cool of the day with the Lord. Being one with the Father in love and in pleasure and enjoyment. All of a sudden now in contrast, this darkness over them, this alienation and this separation. And this is where Paul, why Paul is writing this in, in, in Romans. Because of this is our natural state now before God. We are alienated. You felt and you heard the sounds that now Adam hides himself. And they hide each from each, they, they hide from each other. And now the ground is cursed because of them. And now they're hiding from God. This separation, this contrast of this place of paradise, this place of love, this place of peace, now is in turmoil. And that's where Paul is writing to us in the book of Romans that this is what it's all about. We are alienated from one another. We are alienated from even ourselves. and our own, We look at ourselves and don't like ourselves or like ourselves too much, and then we are separated from God. And that's who we are until someone comes along. That's why our but now is so important. But now... What does it mean, this passage, but now? How, what, in what terms and what references are we talking about? Well, it can be in a logical sense, but now it's a turning point. That's what many people use here right now. It's, it's a contrast. There's contrast going on. Contrast 
He's saying, now before you were with the Lord and with peace, and now you're not. But now he says, there is a way to have this again. But now there is a righteousness. No matter how radically corrupt you are, God has made a way, and his name is Jesus. It's not a bunch of doctrines. It's not a bunch of ethics. It's about a person. As it says in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith is in Jesus Christ. It is a person. The gospel is a personal relationship. It is not about the Sermon on the Mount, how everybody can sing Kumbaya and get along. That is not what makes you a Christian. It is because you are a Christian that you live that way and think that way and desire God to bring in your life these blessings. So what Paul is writing here is that he's bringing in this argument and in this letter that he's writing to them, this understanding, right? Because what does he say? He says that I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He says, it is, as in the beginning, he goes, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart from the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, was declared to be the son of God in power. It's about the gospel. It's about Jesus. And so what he's saying, he brings them to this argument of saying, you have no place to stand, Jews. You can't live up to what you believe. You cannot live and be, and be faithful and obey God in every commandment, no matter if you've been circumcised, no matter if you've honored the Sabbath, no matter if you've tithed, no matter what you've done, Jew, you can't live up to it. Because the law was never meant to bring anybody righteousness. The law was meant as a mirror to show the righteousness of God, the demands of God's righteousness. But it would never save you. It was never meant to bring us to God. It was never meant to bring us forgiveness. I can look in a mirror and see all the crud on my face, but that mirror is never going to reach out its arms and clean the dirt off my face. As he says in verse 20, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So his argument can be logical. He's changing direction in this message, right? He's discussing this argument, and now he brings them to the point where I want you to listen and hear about the, the love of Christ. I want you to hear about justification by faith. Because right from here, from chapter 33, verse 21, all the way to chapter 5, this is a discussion about what justification is. And justification is a legal declaration in a courtroom that you and I are now looked upon by God as if you and I have never sinned ever. But, I think that's there, that logical, that logical uh, reference here, but now. But I also think, and I think lots of others means, that now, right? Time, temporal. It's talking about time and space. It's talking about the present. 
It's a change in time. It's a change in our personhood. It's a change in the action of God. It's promise in the Old Testament. It's fulfillment in the New Testament. Listen to how he uses but now in other places in the book of Romans. Turn with me to chapter 6, verse 22. Notice how he says in, uh, in that paragraph of slaves to righteousness. And then, are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do, we, do you not know that if you, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed or handed over or transferred. We're going to be looking at that several weeks down the road. And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness and sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from these things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, notice the contrast, but now that you have been set free, the contrast is slavery. Now it's freedom. You have been set free and have become slaves of God. The fruit who you get who get led, lead, who you, excuse me, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then again in chapter 7, verse 6, verse 4, Likewise, my brothers, you were also dead to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, this contrast, but now this turning point, but now we've released from the law, having died to that, to that which held us captive so that we serve in the way, a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way written in the code. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting verse 12. <clears throat> Now, if Christ is proclaimed as dead from, raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of dead? But if there is no resurrection of dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found by, to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we hope in this life only, we are a people most to be pitied. But now, in fact, here's the word, but now, even though the uh, ESV doesn't have it, in Greek it does. But now, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And then we turn to Ephesians chapter 2. One of my favorite buts is uh, uh, verse uh, chapter 2. Everybody knows that one, right? Uh, <clears throat> in which, uh, and you were dead, chapter 2 of, ver of Ephesians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that at which at, at work, now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, now there's no but now in there, but I like that but. But God, being rich in mercy, notice, that, notice how the contrast, it's still an adversative, it's not but now, but it's an adversative, it is now implying a contrast. And these are good. This stuff is good. This is good to know. Because this ought to be the gospel that you present to people. If your gospel does not entail John, uh, Romans 3, 21 through 26, folks, you need to rethink it. Don't listen to these people who are peddling gospel on the radio and on TV and, and churches around us that are not true. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. In verse 11, we go to, Therefore, remember that at the time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. How applicable is that to our conversations to people who don't know Christ? But what comes next? But now! In Christ Jesus, who you once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see the alienation that was there? You were a nobody. Now you're a child of God. You are now the brother and sister of Christ. Wrath has changed, right? Wrath, in chapter 1, it was wrath. Now it's righteousness because of but now, verse 31 uh, verse 21 of chapter 3. There's now verse chapter 8 in Romans, right? Therefore, there is no condemnation. Why? Because there is justification in Christ. That's a contrast. Also, what's happened now is that the age to come is here. The kingdom of God is here, in part. We don't need to wait for the kingdom of God to come. We need, for, we need to wait for its consummation. We need to wait for its completion. But Jesus says, the kingdom is in front of you, as he was speaking, because he's the king and he embodies the kingdom. So it is not something we wait for the future. He is here now. 
That's the key. That's understanding that this is who we are in Christ. This is why it's so important that God has broken into this miserable world. He's broken into our lives, which we may think is cool, which we may think is all right, which we may think is good, which we may not think we're as bad as our neighbor, but God, by his grace, interrupted my life back in 1982. Have you had a but now moment in your life? Has you ever, have you ever felt God interrupting your life? I mean, he interrupts my life now. He's even a believer. But have you felt that? You must. You must remember that. I'm not talking about a day, you know, nobody, everybody doesn't have a pow, wow, big time, lights going off conversion. But even as a child, even as believing, as you've grown up in the church and that you just came to understand who he is, there was that day when you came to understand that but now moment. Have you had a but now moment? If you've had, that's what Paul is writing about. That is what changes us. That is what feeds us. That's the confession of our faith. That's the gospel. And you can tell people, you need to have a but now moment. They may not know what you're talking about, but you can explain it to them. But now, the kingdom of God has broken in. Jesus the king has interrupted your life as he did in Paul. He came from Saul, who Saul now is Paul. He broke into his life. He interrupted him. He didn't say, can I come in? You know, the Lord's knocking, but he doesn't, if he waited for me to open the door, thank the Lord he didn't. But he changed my heart and broke my heart and broke me down to a place where I couldn't go anymore and I couldn't speak anymore and I couldn't say that what a good boy I am and how good I was in my church experience and all the wonderful things I did. And, you know, I wasn't that bad of a guy. I really wasn't that bad. I thought I was pretty good. But then when I read the scriptures, I realize how radically corrupt my heart is. And I know whether you want to know it or not, how radically corrupt your hearts are. And you know what? The people that you live with, and the people that you work with, and the people that you serve, and the people that you're around, and the people that you go out with, and party with, and play golf with, and go out to eat with, and like to be around, they're the same radically corrupt people. And what do they need? But now. Jesus, right, they need Jesus. This is a righteousness. Someone said, a righteousness from heaven, as he says back in Romans. He says, the righteousness of God. This is a righteousness prepared by God. This is a righteousness provided by God. This is a righteousness made available by God. This good news is all from God. That's why he says in the beginning, it's the power of God. It's the gospel of God. It's nothing, you're, you're my contribution during the beginning of this letter is, letter is nothing but toilet. It's nothing. It's down the tube. We're corrupt. And by God's grace, he interrupted our lives. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he transformed us to believe, to have faith. 
And what's faith? We're going to learn on what faith is all about. But faith is this, right? It's all by faith, as he says here. The righteous of God through faith. And it says in the beginning, as we looked at it in verse 17, for an unrighteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. There are elements of faith, right? There's a knowledge. There's an element of knowledge in faith. And again, I'm going to go back to you, and I told you this. You know, it's going to be interesting, but what, in a couple of weeks I'll have been here in, in your guys' faces almost eight years. It'll be eight years that I'll have, I'll have uh, except for that two-year interlude that I was away, being here, I came here in, uh, in August of 2013. And, I'm, you know, and, and, and I've told you this story before, but when it comes to faith, I think of Susie, my wife Susie. You know, here's this girl Susie that I'm interested in. And what do, what do I do? I put myself in a situation to get to know who she is. I'm 17, she's 15. So I get to know who she is, because I like her. That's element of faith. You want to know more about, right? Because the, the, we are justified by faith in what? In someone. It's the object of our faith. Faith doesn't save me. It's the object of my faith. And that's where faith comes in, this element of knowledge. So I start looking at Sue's. I start hanging around Sue's. We start going out. We start having a good time together. We start finding we have interest. Unbelievably, reason that I couldn't believe that she liked me. There were things about me that she liked. So she wanted to be around me. So what do we do? We, we then get in. It, it, the next step of faith is an ascent. Right? It's a moving forward. It's a taking the next step. It's moving in the direction of. So what do I do? Let's go out. Let's hang out together. Let's go steady. Let's do. It's an ascent. It's, it's moving more so I can get to know her more. And that's what faith is. When you come to know who Christ is, you want to know more about him, and then you are gravitating towards him. It's not you and I doing it. It's the Spirit of God doing it, but that's the element of faith. And then what happens? You make a commitment. You get married. You ask the Lord to come into your life, to be your Lord and your Savior, to love you because you know that there is nothing lovable about you. Not a thing, folks. Not a thing. As he used to tell the Israelites, don't think you guys are special. Don't think that there was something great about you guys. I picked you. I created you. There were no Jews. <laughs> I brought you out of one man. It was not something I just, out of my love, created you to be the people of God. So, what do we see about this righteousness? It has been manifested apart from the law. Apart from the law. That means it's completely done, having been manifested. I means it's, it's an action. It's perfect tense. It's been done. It's been moved. It's been completed. It's not something that's going to happen again. He's here. He's come. Now it's up to us to find out who he is. Apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Now he's not saying, and we're going to find out in chapters you know, for especially that there was justification before Jesus came, but it was all because of Christ. The Bible, the Old Testament talks about justification. And realizing that this, this plan of salvation is not plan B because the law didn't do it. The law failed. The law didn't work. 
So God came up with a plan B. There's never been a plan B. There's a plan A. Old Testament, New Testament. The continuity of the Bible is that from beginning of the book of Genesis, once we read that curse, right, what does it say? He says, then he goes, then, then uh, it talks about the coming of Christ in chapter 3 of verse 15 uh, in the book of Genesis about the, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. That's pro, they call that proto-evangelium, meaning that the very first gospel, that's the very first gospel message is in the beginning, and it goes all the way through, and you've heard me say, right? Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That's the unity of the Bible, the unity from beginning to end. It doesn't go away. It doesn't change. There's discontinuity, of course, right? Because the law doesn't save. We are no longer under law. Jesus came and completed the law. There are no more ceremonial laws. We don't go out into a temple and kill and sacrifice animals. Why? Because we have Christ. He's the ultimate sacrifice. So there's discontinuity in some of the things that the Lord presented so that they were types and shadows. To Christ. If Christ was standing here and this was the Old Testament, he would be this long shadow over top of the Old Testament because it was all about him. And you realize, I want to tell you this, if you have the, if anybody has the ESV study Bible, if you go in there, and I, as I've said, I don't get paid any money for telling you to buy it, but I'm telling you, it's the best study Bible I've ever seen it's a, it's a mini seminary, a mini Bible college. There are 26 pages, 26 pages of all the verses talking about Jesus in the Old Testament. 26 pages of, of, of uh, verses pointing to this type and shadow of Christ, that the sacrifices, the offerings, the, uh, the uh, Day of Atonement, all those things. The, the prophets speak to those things. All those things point to Christ. The prophets, right? Isaiah talks about the suffering servant that he's crushed for our transgressions in Isaiah 53. And the Psalms 22 talks about the crucifixion of Christ. And we talk about 20, Psalm 23, 20, uh, 23 about the being the good shepherd. And then we see all the way through the Bible. Pastor Nate's mentioned it before here in uh, 1 Peter as he, as he read it. You can turn with me to 1 Peter. The pages are folded over. First Peter chapter 1. See what Paul is writing, he's saying, this isn't a plan B, this has been God's plan from the beginning. The prophets have spoken about it. The law has pointed to Christ. Chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted 
the sufferings of Christ, and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they are serving not themselves but you in things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The angels are bending down, longing and looking and being amazed as they watch the plan of redemption being rolled out for us. So that's what Peter's talking about. Peter's saying there's continuity. That's what Paul is writing about. He's saying here, this is not new, but you have to understand, but now, because it's so important. So I pray, have you had a but now moment in your life? Our our calling as being obedient to uh, Matthew 28 is go out therefore and make disciples is that we need to get people to that but now moment. Now it's not, you and I are not the ones who are going to get them there, but God is going to use you and me. He promises to use you and me to bring either, to either plant or to water or to harvest. But we all have a purpose and we all have a job to do and the sermon and, and the and the great commission is not an option going making disciples is an imperative it is not a choice that you and i have folks it is not jesus saying well you know if you really feel like doing it jim go ahead if you feel inspired to do it today go ahead i know you're timid but go ahead i'm not talking about me being timid but i know i know you're timid i know i know you're shy i know it's like he doesn't, it's like in the ordinary way, in the ordinary means of every day, we never know how we are going to be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Norm and I were talking about that. It's the ordinary, it's the drip, drip, drip of life. But our calling, our purpose, our focus has to be on Matthew 28 so that we tell people about Jesus and then we desire to disciple them. That's what this church should exist for. And the reason why there are lots of problems in the church today is because the leadership of churches have not done that. They have not presented that as being the very DNA of the church. We have people going all over the place because no one has spent the time with them to take them through the ABCs of faith and what is expected from us as being disciples and being followers of Christ. And so that's what we need to be doing here. That's why Nate and I have talked about this. This is why we brought out that, 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 uh, wrote that bulletin or that booklet by Stephen Smallman about what is discipleship. That's why I've got small groups going on with, my, with people that I'm working with. It is not for us just to get together. It is not just for us to hang together because i got to tell you, I, I meet with Rosemary and some other ladies and they make great desserts. The desserts are great. I can't wait to get my taste back all. It's getting better. It's getting better. I was on vacation. I couldn't taste lobster at all. But I did taste oysters and clams. But Rosemary made a great strawberry rhubarb or whatever. I think you had her crisp or something like this. And I couldn't taste one taste of it. But anyway, 
I don't go there just because I like Rosemary, Joanne, and Terry, and that we have great desserts. It's because I want to disciple them. It's because I want to meet with them, and I want them as quiet and as timid as these ladies can be. I am going to be, folks, this is an imperative. And you need to make sure that you don't say, oh, you want to know Jesus? Here's Pastor Jim's number. I don't see that anywhere in Matthew 28. Call Pastor Jim. It's up to you to be disciplers. Even if you do it differently, and even if you aren't as loud as me, and even if you aren't as outgoing as me, I'm a trained extrovert, folks. Even if you are not outgoing as me, you can still be disciplers. But it's this but now that I want you to focus on because it's key. Because this whole gospel is based upon knowing that we are radically corrupt and we deserve the unrighteous just we the, the righteous justice of God. But as we're going to learn, he is not only just to forgive us, but he is also the one who will justify us by giving us his life. Now folks, that's not just good news that's great news let's pray together heavenly father we thank you for these words today we thank you for giving us these words that are just so packed that this paragraph lord is so small but yet it's got so much stuff in it lord i pray that we desire to feed on the table that you've given to us by the preaching and the teaching of your word that, Father, we would feel that we have missed something when it is being opened and we have not heard it or seen it or tasted it. This is why you've given us this day by your ordinary means of grace to grow in faith, to grow in understanding. Every time the gospel is preached, every time the word of God is opened, it is the righteousness of God for us. So, Lord, you know our hearts. You know individuals here today. Thank you, Lord, for being God that I don't have to come up with plans for everyone's life. You already know that. Just give them a willing spirit, Lord. Give them a desire to tell others about you, Jesus. Give others the opportunity to be open about their sin and their forgiveness from you to realize that we are not perfect people and we never, never profess to be perfect and that we have all the answers to every question that exists, but to those big questions of life about who we are, why we are here, and who is God. You've amply given us enough information, Lord. So thank you for investing in us again today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.